Good morning, Memphis. Thank you for spending another one of your summer Saturdays with me. I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Saturday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, we'll learn about their motivations, inspirations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Well, after the year and a half that we've had with all of its ups and downs and unexpected turns, one thing is for certain, we would all probably benefit from having someone to talk to, and not just anyone, but a licensed therapist. But how exactly do you find a therapist, and what exactly are the benefits? I'm joined today by Cameron Lee Small, a licensed professional clinical counselor who holds a master's in counseling psychology from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Cam is a PACC certified therapist and registered as an accredited service provider through TAC via Center for Adoption Support and Education. Welcome, Cam. Hey, what's up, Sanad? So hey. glad to be here. This is awesome. Yes, I am so excited that you are here with us this morning. I have been a big fan of your work, and obviously we know each other through kind of the adoption circles, and we'll talk more about adoption-specific therapy, which I know that you provide, uh, but it's so great to actually have you on because I know that throughout our lives, we all experience just a range of situations and circumstances that by ourselves, we might not be able to kind of work through or make sense of. So this is, so therapy, when we're talking about therapy, I think is important for everyone. And I kind of feel like in the past several years that I think it's been more common for folks to talk openly about going to therapy or seeking out a therapist. There used to be a big stigma around going to therapy or even mental health support. And I've been super encouraged, um, yeah, especially this past year. But just in general, I think the culture is shifting toward, um, hey, it's okay to have feelings, number one. Number two, it's okay to express those feelings. And how do we do that? Because we don't always get training on how to... Um, wow, I'm feeling um, angry about X, Y, Z or sad, just all these things. So in order to, you know, to be able to do that with a, a professional who's trained on how to kind of help me sift through my thoughts and feelings, that's been so helpful. So really glad to see how much it's been normalized recently, mental health support. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that is? What do you think it has been kind of leading this kind of normalization of therapy? I think people are tired of staying silent mm -hmm. and all it takes is kind of maybe just a small group of folks to say, hey, we can talk about it and let's get together and find um, safe, semi-structured ways to have that connection. Um, and I think many people for just too long probably ha have just felt isolated. And now with social media and the dawn of the internet, there's more information than ever before. So someone can even just log online and re read someone's story and say, wow, I've experienced that too. 
I'm not alone and I want to talk to someone about it. And I think that um, availability of information and others' stories uh, has definitely contributed to, you know, the positive view of mental health support that we see now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. You mentioned that connecting, which is so important. Of course, the importance of connecting with people, I think even more heightened um, when we are in you know, social distancing. Um, so I think that also people really understanding we need those connections mm-hmm. and not feeling bad about wanting to connect with people in mm-hmm. a kind of deeper way. We are relational beings and it's so natural, like we're designed to connect with one another. And, and I think it's through relationships that we can experience the, the zest of life, but also experience support when things aren't going so well, even in times of darkness and high need and even suffering to know that there's another with me um, can make a significant difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And also, I like how you mentioned, you know, finding um, a safe space, but also a structured space, right, to be able to talk through these things. Because of course, you know, hopefully, we all have at least one person in our life that we feel comfortable sharing, you know, what we're going through. But it's very different talking with maybe a friend or even just a confidant versus um, seeking professional help, someone who is trained, right, in this specific field. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about that because I think people can sometimes feel like, oh, but I have friends, right? Like I can talk to people or I feel comfortable even just sharing things about uh, my life. Oh, therapy is for people who maybe don't have anyone or don't know how mm-hmm. to talk about things. So could you just tell us in general more um, what kind of the benefits of therapy are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate that metaphor of going to a doctor for physical needs. If I have something in my body that's painful and it's been hurting for days, maybe I'll go to the hospital. And I think similarly, when I think about our emotional well-being, um, the social and emotional needs that we have, it's so appropriate to go to someone who's trained in that domain and work together for a season to unpack things that are important to me. So I think that illustration captures for me, um, you know, just that benefit of working with someone who has like multiple frameworks, multiple lenses that they're gonna kind of, I'm gonna bring my story, I'm just gonna kind of talk. And then through their lens, they're starting to see some patterns Mm -hmm. or they're starting to make some observations that my friends, although I love my friends, they might have missed or they might not be trained to kind of see and observe and, and walk with me through. So I think that's where we see the, the major benefit of working with a professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only, of course, the training, right? Someone who is trained, who is a licensed professional in this area, um, but even kind of the example you gave, you know, we can talk to our friends, um, but they will miss a lot of things because they know so much about us. So they have a lot more information mm-hmm. that they're kind of filling in the blanks. Whereas when you go to a therapist, you're having to maybe explain things in a way that you you wouldn't have to explain to a friend. And sometimes when we are explaining things in more detail, that's when some of those kind of 
underlying or some of those small details actually end up being pretty major in thinking about patterns, you know, throughout mm -hmm. our life. And I think that's where if someone is engaging therapy or mental health support on a weekly or biweekly basis, um, this is more than just catching up with friends to get coffee. You know, this is working with someone, like you said, trained, licensed. And as we meet together week after week after week, we start to see some of those patterns. And then, you know, because we've developed a common goal together for what this person wants out of the kind of therapy relationship, um, we're working together towards those goals together. Whereas when you go get coffee with someone, it's kind of casual and we're just kind of hanging out. Whereas with a mental health professional, sometimes there's even a treatment plan to say, hey, when we meet together, we're actually going to target these three areas that you brought. You're presenting concerns when we first met. And that's what we're going after. We're not going to talk about the weather. We're not talking about sports today. We're going after these particular goals that you set for us. And I think that's part of the benefit as well. Mm -hmm. So there are a few different things that you kind of mentioned casually as we've been talking and I just want to kind of key in. So one, you kind of mentioned having a goal in therapy, right? It's not just I'm showing up and we're kind of chatting about whatever might come to mind, mm -hmm. but actually having a specific goal. So if I am perhaps, you know, entering a new kind of relationship with a therapist, right? Found a new therapist and starting out should I already come in with a specific goal or how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm kind of thinking about, you know, if I'm going to start this season long relationship with this stranger, how do I know if this is like a good fit? Mm -hmm. how, how do I decide that? There are a couple of questions you can kind of ask. Um, so yeah, number one is training. What kind of training do they have? Are they licensed in a particular state? The second one is, you know, I, kind of think that as you show up with someone, you can kind of get the sense of, does this person get me or not? Now, of course, that doesn't always happen in the first session, but depending on what your presenting concern is, you want to know, do they specialize in trauma or ADHD or adoption or whatever concern that you're holding that season, do they specialize in that? A lot of therapists have a particular background, a niche that they specialize in. So that's the second thing you can ask. Um, you know, what's the accessibility? Some therapists are online now, virtual. And for some people, that's what they need. Um, where's their office? So there's the logistical aspect of it as well. And then I think, you know, there's this idea called informed consent, which essentially means you can kind of ask a therapist, what's your worldview? What's your paradigm? How do you conduct therapy? How will we change over time? And how are you going to get us there? And so some people will have, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy approach mm -hmm. or someone else's, you know, person-centered or someone else specializes in narrative therapy mm -hmm. or trauma-informed, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, family therapy, marriage and family therapy. So you'll want to ask them what um, your role in that as a client and then their role as a clinician. Is it shared power? Are we kind of collaborative here or are they the expert? Am I going to come here and they're going to tell me what to do? How does that work? So you really want to explore what's this relationship going to look like? And it almost kind of is like a define the relationship moment of what can I expect here with you as we work together? So really asking those questions to help figure out, is this going to be a good fit for us? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some different type of 
I guess what I would think of as approaches, and I don't know if that's the correct word or not, you can tell me, but you mentioned maybe you'll go in and you're doing like talk therapy, right? Which I imagine is Mm. we're talking, (laughs) but there could be other types of therapy that you might go through with your therapist. So could you talk about some, I guess, other approaches or other things you might expect depending upon what type of therapist you go to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally during therapist training in, in my master's program, we're kind of thinking about the worldview, the theoretical orientation, what causes human suffering, what does change look like, where do we see the origin of the problem, is the problem internal, is it in me, is it my responsibility to make different decisions, are we placing a heavy emphasis on my thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors, irrational thoughts, cognitive distortions? Is the problem external? Is it outside of me? Are there forces that are seemingly out of my control? If we think about institutional forces, um, layers of, you know, just even thinking about the past year, a lot of people have been working around racism and how does that play a role in my life? Um, So is the problem external? Is a little bit of both? Um, and I think when I, when I use the word kind of like trauma informed, um, basically what I'm getting at there is that we're acknowledging that when people experience psychologically overwhelming events, it can potentially have a physical, social, emotional impact on them in their body biologically. And how does that, um, shape their ability to regulate emotions, to participate in relationships. So I think that the trauma-informed piece is a big buzzword, but it really helps us acknowledge these other layers that could be playing a role in, wow, it's just really hard for me to even get out of bed today. Or, you know, it's really hard for me to sustain relationships. Or I'm experiencing a lot of conflict in this particular area. I wonder what's going on. Um, So that's kind of like a, a little kind of getting our feet wet into the different modalities that therapists might use. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important, your mention of understanding not just or thinking through not just things that are internal or ways that we ourselves might be thinking about and interpreting events that are happening, but also understanding that there are, in many cases, external conditions that we really have little control over that are impacting Mm -hmm. us. And as you mentioned, for example, racism, being one of those really big forces that we individually would not be able to change or dismantle, but that is impacting us in very specific and unique ways. Um, And I know for a lot of folks, you know, engaging in a therapeutic relationship can be one way to help, you know, think about different strategies or just understand what's happening in a way where you don't internalize some of these Mm. external forces that, again, are really outside of our control. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, working with children, um, kind of think about, you know, are we just going after symptom reduction here? You know, like little person is getting in trouble at school. So we want them to comply with the rules more. We want them to listen more. Um, But if we fail to take into account, let's say, I'm working with an adoptee or a person of color who is going to school, the population is predominantly white and they're getting bullied, right? People are calling them names every day. If I fail, if I miss that as a clinician, 
I'm kind of missing a whole piece of this person that's very important and, and it plays a very relevant role in their daily lived experience. So I think, yeah, acknowledging that there's an internal piece. Yeah, maybe we can work on, okay, your response to what they call you. Um, but that external piece must be addressed as well. So really appreciating the, the holistic view there, that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And then something else you mentioned kind of in passing as we've been talking is perhaps the length of uh, a length of your relationship with your therapist or length of how long you will be going to see a therapist. So once I start therapy, is this kind of like, this is it for the rest of my life? <laughs> or is it, what does that look like? Or is that a, a goal or timeline that is kind of talked about in the beginning? Or how do we make that decision? Yeah, that's a very important question. We don't want to be in this therapeutic relationship forever, right? There is a finishing point. And I think that's something that can be um, kind of like a shared goal that we talk about from the get-go. We're going to always be thinking about, they have this word called like termination. I like to use the word like finishing or even with, with um, younger folks, you know, graduating. But in this formal counseling relationship, we're working on these specific goals together um, for a season. So it's very clear. The expectation is that eventually you'll be equipped with the skills to be able to navigate these particular concerns independently and that together through our work, you're processing emotions, um, you're learning how to handle particular situations so that maybe at the end of a uh, 12 week period, for example, um, we either take a break or we might finish. And that's you know part, part of the work that I do, uh, especially with adoptees, we might even get to the 12 week mark and oh my goodness, I, I never thought of my adoption story in this way. There's some loss that starts to come up or some grief. We might need a few more sessions here. So I think that's really, it's an open dialogue. We're constantly checking in. How are you feeling about our work together? How will we know when we're done? You as the client kind of get to tell me that and we're going to work together um, to reach that goal. So that's in a formal counseling um, context I also think there's informal counseling. So this might be the space between formal, a meeting with a therapist. Um, the other end is I'm just getting caught with friends. Like informal counseling is kind of like, hey, it's okay for us to talk about things that we don't always talk about. It's okay for me to share about some of the struggles that I'm going through and we're gonna walk through this together. That's an informal kind of relationship. But yes, for a season, we're gonna decide that together. It's an open dialogue. Um, and that's what we can expect. And you can even bring that up with, with your therapist when you begin together, how long will this last? And you get to tell them when we're finished. Mm, okay, um, excellent, excellent. So this has been so good to kind of, you know, walk through what we might expect if we are entering in a therapeutic relationship. And even you gave us a lot of great questions that we can even ask a potential therapist. Um, but let's take a short break. And then we, when we come back, we'll talk more on this topic of mental health and therapy. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM.
This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sunna, and I'm here with Cameron Lee Small, a licensed professional clinical counselor. And obviously, we are talking about mental health and therapy. And before the break, Cam, you really gave us a great rundown or overview of a therapeutic relationship and what we could expect. And one question that I have for you is, kind of when should we go see a therapist? That's a great question. The phrase that comes to mind is functioning, daily functioning. So sometimes when we're diagnosing folks, um, and I use that term very loosely, but we're asking, where is there an impairment in daily functioning? That could be occupational, like my work, my job, my vocation, could be social. Hey, there's some relationships that it's just really hard to sustain these relationships or participate in them. Emotional functioning, you know, maybe I'm feeling down um, for an extended period of time. Maybe I've got some anxieties or some worries that seem to feel out of control. We're just kind of thinking about impairment in daily functioning. Mm-hmm. We kind of take a look at those symptoms together. And if you feel like you're not able to engage in daily life um, in a typical way where you define as typical, then it might be appropriate to consider uh, meeting with a mental health professional for a season. Mm-hmm. And I'm also wondering about, cause I hear actually a, a few of my friends talk about this, about everything seems to be going well. So there maybe isn't kind of a, you know, something that happened that's making them feel, um, I guess in a negative quote unquote kind of state of mind or emotional state, but rather everything is going really well and they can't seem to really accept how good things are going, would that also be a time that you could seek out um, a therapist? And I think in in that particular scenario, and maybe even beyond that, I was at the con conference a couple of years ago, and um, this illustration about having a suitcase that we carry around, and sometimes we can go somewhere, meet with someone, and carve out time and space to open the suitcase, unpack what's inside, look at it, process it, fold that back up, put it back in our suitcase, and then we continue on with our life. So I think, yes, no no matter how well your life is going or if your life is going very well and it's hard to accept that, but whatever your particular situation is, it's not like we have to wait until crisis Mm. to benefit from speaking with a mental health professional. And Um, if you feel like you do have a hard time accepting, you know, a particular circumstance that could be helpful too. Why? Because we're sitting down together and we're unpacking some things in a kind of a safe kind of controlled environment. And you get to repack that as you see fit so that you can do your daily activities in a way that feels satisfying and meaningful. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important what you said. We don't have to wait until we're in crisis to then try to talk to Mm -hmm. someone and, you know, work through whatever it is that we might be experiencing. And I think that kind of goes back to the analogy you made in the first segment about when you might go to a medical professional, right, to the doctor about your physical health. Um, A lot of times we have symptoms of, oh, we're getting sick or we're feeling an ache or pain. 
And we often wait until it gets to a point where, you know, we are limping around or we were having difficulty breathing. But if we would have gone in earlier when we knew something was maybe just a little bit off, we could have had a different type of treatment plan and also a different type of kind of recovery as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So mental health support can also be preventative kinds of support. Absolutely. Yeah, so important. I think that's key because I think a lot of folks, you know, can sometimes feel like, oh, going to a therapist or, or, you know, saying something is quote unquote wrong, you know, with my mental health must mean there's something wrong with me. And that's not the case. Mm hmm. Yeah. And even the language of right or wrong, like a right or wrong way to be, you know, we can kind of meet together and look at the way things are and even maybe challenge the, the value judgments we've placed. And are those messages from outside of me? And wh when or where have I chosen to accept that? And is it time to maybe consider an alternative? Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yes. Now, earlier you mentioned, um, depending upon maybe kind of what is presenting at the time or what you feel like you want to talk through um, or rearrange right in your suitcase, you might want to seek out a specific type of therapist who specializes in, you know, whatever kind of area. So I want to talk more about your specialty area and kind of the approaches that you take. So could you tell us more about um, your specializations? I specialize in adoption. And I think with that term itself, there's a lot of subsets, um, but primarily working with adoptees, um, typically ages 13 and up, but also sometimes other than that. Um, but folks who are navigating adoption and permanency, um, thinking about exploring identity, attachment, relationships, trauma, birth, family, and what that all means for them in their life. And then also sometimes working with adoptive parents, whether that be one-on-one um, -on -one in session, but also um, through workshops too. Mm -hmm. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is adoption, I guess, adoption-centered therapy, I don't know, again, the correct term, but is that something that is newer in the field or has there always been kind of adoption-centered or adoption-related therapy? I think the term adoption competent therapist is relatively newer. And while I say that, I'll also say that adult adoptees have um, writing books, doing their research. And I think maybe recently we're seeing a shift or a spike where a lot more emphasis is given on elevating adoptee voices. And also, yeah, even recently, clinicians and mental health providers and child welfare workers being encouraged to seek training um, to understand more of the nuances and complexities that are related to the adoption experience. So yeah, adoption competent counselors are, um, I guess, relatively newer. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really glad to see that very encouraged because adoptees need that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And for folks who aren't familiar with kind of adoption or adoption process, or even some of the maybe particular um, themes that might that adoptees might be dealing with, could you tell us a little bit more about um, some of those themes or some of the specific, I guess, kind of areas that you attend to? You mentioned some of them, but could you go more in depth? Mm -hmm. 
A big one is identity. So that's a kind of a topic where as we think about the process of adoption, we're acknowledging that a child had a family before they were adopted. And throughout the lifespan, throughout an adoptee's journey, we might be trying to figure out um, not only, you know, who am I, we're also trying to figure out who was I or who were those people in my life. We think about birth family. We're trying to think about who do I want to be in the future. If I'm individuating or becoming independent from my adoptive family, I also might hit a phase where, hey, am I, am I like my birth parents at all? Or slash and how am I connected to my birth culture? Me personally, I'm a Korean adoptee. So I went through a phase where what does it mean to be Korean? What does it mean to be a Korean American? What does it mean to be a Korean American adoptee? So all of those pieces were folded into my identity development. And part of my work, part of my passion is to walk with others as they figure that out in their own journey. So that's identity. We also think about trauma because there's that relinquishment um, stage where a child is separated from a primary caregiver at some point. So whatever needs were being met in that primary relationship, that process is, has been disrupted. And that can leave a long lasting impact on that child's physical, emotional, biological, spiritual well-being. So we wanna think about what does restoration look like? What does healing look like in that process? So identity, trauma, and then yeah, family dynamics, attachment, when I say attachment, I'm thinking about relationships in my family, relationships with those around me. And then uh, lastly for me, um, birth search. I personally went on a journey uh, back to Korea uh, to find my mom and that process brought up a lot for me. And, you know, what's it like to walk with others as they sort of unpack what that trip means for them? What am I looking for? What am I going after? What does it look like to have a good reunion if that's possible? And what does it mean for me in my journey overall? So in a nutshell, that's kind of like a, um, a 30,000 foot overview of the kind of work that I do. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. As I was listening to you talk, even in the just you know the brief descriptions that you gave us, you know, as I was listening, it becomes apparent how therapy can give us a different way of thinking through things. Even if we take you know adoption, which we see a lot of um, kind of representations of adoption in media, some of them you know distorted, some of them. <laughs> you know, recreated in a variety of ways. I'm thinking about the movie Cruella because it just came out and I, well, I, it, I just saw it. I should say that and kind of adoption or relinquishment is one of those pieces in that story, but it's represented in a way where if you didn't see it, uh, where Cruella has kind of this split personality, right? So adoption as leading to this trauma. And I think for adoptees or the general public, we can often think about adoption through this somewhat of a deficit lens or, you know, also not thinking about family before the person was adopted, right? So even just listening to you talk in that brief description, again, thinking about how therapy can provide a space to, you know, unpack your suitcase and maybe mm -hmm. take some things out or, you know, rearrange it and look at it in a different way, which I think is, you know, so important. 
Yeah, and I'm even thinking about, you know, adoption being represented in the media. And sometimes I've worked with folks who were really pressured to feel thankful. And that's okay to feel thankful. And yet, in our space together, we're able to unpack some of those feelings of mourning and sadness of these people that were once important to them that they've lost. So I think giving a voice to that piece of their story can be so helpful in having um, a holistic sense of identity, who I am and who I want to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I'm just thinking, you know, for all of us, we see versions or parts of ourselves represented in media, which is one way that we do kind of think about ourselves, incorporate, you know, into our identity. Um, you know, we talk a lot about mirrors or racial mirrors in particular, seeing folks mm. who, you know, look like us and how that does impact how we then think of our own identity. And so I think it is so important to have these spaces where folks can kind of talk through kind of some of these challenges or confusing thoughts and ideas they might have around, you know, identity in particular, but we could think about other areas as well. Now you mentioned, um, you know, you are an adoption competent therapist. There we go. I got the language right. <laughs> nice. um, and, and, and you yourself are an adoptee. So I'm wondering how important is it if for folks who are listening and they're thinking about entering a therapeutic relationship, how important is it that they find a therapist that maybe has some of those same key background um, characteristics? I think for some folks, it shaves off a few months of having to explain their story because maybe I get it. And of course, my experience is unique. Everyone's is unique. Um, so it's not gonna be the exact same. And yet there's been some uh, kind of just special kind of like mutual understanding that, you know, they can share a piece of their story and I can kind of understand already without having to ask, you know, what that means or what that was like for them. Um, so I think for some folks, that's really important. Um, for others, it's been um, just a, a sounding board to say something that I haven't been able to say elsewhere hmm. um, and to another adoptee. Um, I've got some folks where I was the first adoptee to ever talk to yeah. that they, they didn't realize there was this many adoptees out there or they just didn't have that sense of community in the city. Um, where they grow up. And so, wow, all of a sudden here I am talking with another adopted person. I didn't realize that there were many of us out there and that's amazing. I'm not alone. That in itself can be such a, a validating, refreshing experience to know that there's someone else with me. So I think those are the two big ones that come to my mind right now, working with someone who shares uh, that particular identity of adoptee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was asking because I can imagine that, you know, as with any sort of relationship or interaction, folks come in with their, you know, own worldviews, but also potentially, you know, own bias as well. And so how much if you're the person seeking out a therapist, how much should you consider, you know, the racial match or mismatch between you and your therapist or mm. even the gender or sexuality right match or mismatch between mm. your Potential therapist as well. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of therapists will help stir dialogue about how might these identities come up for us mm -hmm. and how might it shape our work together and which ones are more salient. 
which ones are more important to you and how can I honor that? Um, and of course, I, I think it's probably safe to say that no therapist is going to be like 100, 100% match. Right. But if you're able to have that conversation, you can start to, you can kind of work together and manage some of those dynamics together and still have a therapeutic experience. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, again, so important about this whole kind of negotiation process in creating mm. this therapeutic relationship. Um, it's not simply a, a patient or client showing up and saying, okay, therapist, you tell me, you know, what to do and how to think and, you know, set all, all the rules, but rather this is a space for us to co-create what is going to happen mm. through this season of our therapeutic relationship. And even the process of co-creating something with another person, um, we might be doing that for the first time. You know, what's it like to communicate your need and the person responds? Yeah. That in itself can be restorative to know that I can say that to you and you'll respond to it according to my needs. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, you know what, when you just said that, I was like, you know, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. That a therapeutic relationship might be that first time to even feel capable or empowered to voice a need and mm -hmm. also know that the person I'm voicing it to is going to hear me and be receptive and respond. And that in itself could be transformative right there. I felt mm -hmm. transformed just hearing you <laughs> say that out loud. Awesome. Uh, let's take another quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm joined by Cameron Lee Small, a licensed professional clinical counselor. And if y'all missed the last segment, we had a transformation just in our conversation. So if that doesn't <laughs> tell you how beneficial, you know, entering in a therapeutic relationship is, I don't know, I don't know what else to convince, <laughs> convince you. Uh, but I think that just speaks to, again, how talking with a therapist entering in that therapeutic relationship can really help you see things or think through things in a different way. And that is exactly what we are talking about today. So one thing that I wanted to ask you, um, it's kind of been somewhat embedded in, in our conversation, but what do you think are some misconceptions about therapy that we need to kind of just throw out the window or, you know, let go of? I think a big one has been you need to be either like crazy or insane. You know, even those words are just really outdated, I guess, to, to go to therapy. Um, or if we kind of reverse that, I tell someone that I've been going to therapy and they might give you a look like, wow, something must be just really messed up in your life. And I think that in itself perpetuates the stigma of mental health support. And what we're really trying to push back on is that it's so appropriate and so healthy to meet with someone and explore, you know, self-knowledge, self-discovery and have self-awareness and to be able to work through um, different components of your life that are important to you. That's so appropriate and so normal. So that's one um, kind of big banner that I really want to wave to just normalize mental health support. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's so important because 
again, all of us throughout our lives are going to go through a variety of different experiences where we may feel like I need support more than just what friends and family can offer, or even mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle what's happening, right? And have those mm-hmm. feelings of like, I don't even know what to do or who to seek out. So that in itself is very, very, very normal. <laughs> it's something we mm-hmm. all experience. Now for folks who maybe their friend or, or someone tells them that they are you know, seeing a therapist, um, are there some ways that we could be supportive of them? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, they trusted you. That's incredible because knowing that there's that stigma out there, um, you know, could prevent me from being open or public about my mental health support. So really even just thanking them for, for trusting you with that. And then um, maybe even asking them, how can I support you? You know, how can I cheer for you? And just kind of affirming that um, process for them that in itself can be um, quite a supportive gesture. And then maybe even feel free if they're comfortable with it to, you know, check in on them from time to time or just, you know, how are things going? I know that um, the ability to feel safe around others is one of the most significant aspects of mental health. And that um, is a quote from Bessel van der Kolk of Body Keeps the Score. It's a great book uh, about trauma and and healing. Um, But how can you be a safe person? How can you be someone that, hey, I confide in you, my story is safe with you, or I confide in you and I have support you. That, that, that song, you got a friend in me. Um, <laughs> we're, we're trying to provide that for those around us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. You know, that idea of being that safe space for someone and creating those relationships where people do feel comfortable and safe with sharing, you know, if they're entering a therapeutic relationship or just other things that might be going on um, in their lives. So I think that's so important and something that all of us can actively work towards is being the type of person that, you know, the folks in our lives do feel safe enough with that they can be open about whatever it is that is happening in their lives. Now, I have a question about, we talked, in the first segment about how to find a therapist and again about questions that you might want to ask to kind of see if it is a good fit Um, but how many therapists might you kind of I don't know get to know um, or test out I don't know before you find one that you do feel like is a good fit I'm not sure (laughs) Um, I think even you know there's some something in there too that a person could explore that you know what prevents me from you know meeting with someone and uh kind of going back and forth at the same time though i've had people come to me and say yeah i've tried three four or five therapists and it just didn't feel right and yeah you used the word mismatch but they didn't get it or they were just telling me hey think positive or they weren't really understanding how my identity as a person of color was playing a role in my experience at work or just, you know, whatever that is. Um, So I, you know, to to these folks, I would say, I think that's appropriate. If you feel that impression that this isn't a good fit, then you you are worth the investment of finding someone who is, Mm -hmm. right? And because you're going to be walking together for a season and I don't want to compare it to like 
dating, but there's still a, a shared intimacy there where you're opening yourself up vulnerably to another for a season. And so you want to make sure that that person, that you feel confident about that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's good for folks to hear that sometimes you might find someone and might be the first person that you go to, whereas other times it might be three or four or or even more therapists mm-hmm. kind of meet with initially, um, or even for a few sessions and decide, uh, I don't think, you know, this is working. Uh, because I think it can be um, very challenging for people maybe to decide to seek out a therapist and they might feel discouraged if kind of the first mm. or second person isn't a good fit. So I just want folks to feel like, hey, it's it's normal. It's nothing wrong if you have to mm-hmm. you know, meet with a few different people. Yep, absolutely. And me personally, um, I've met with uh, two or three therapists and I have a, a therapist now. And so again, just even personally, I understand how beneficial that seeking out is because we're going to we're working together for a season right so yeah just really invest in yourself and see your value that you're worth it Mm -hmm. yes i love that knowing your value you're worth it find someone that fits with you um now i have to ask what happens if in the example you gave where folks are like oh you know I saw this person they just really didn't get what I was saying they weren't really validating or offering me any kind of tools to to use okay what happens if you do feel like you have to you know break up with your therapist is do you just ghost them is it (laughs) or or what is what is that process like Mm mm-hmm a uh, couple options there come to my mind. And yeah, I mean, if you want to go them, that's totally your call, right? Um, I think there could be, if you're comfortable with it, there could be benefit in addressing that together in session, especially if you've been working together for a while. You could say even something like, I just feel like you're missing me. I feel like there's something off here. I said X, Y, Z last week, and I was just really hoping that you would kind of attend to that. But just feels like you missed that. So I wonder if we could return to that or, you know, I, I find myself, I, you know, I've been bringing this particular topic up a lot, but I just don't feel like I'm getting what I need. Just, you know, whatever that is, you can address that in therapy. And as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, most therapists will take that and lean into it. And we can use that together as our relationship. Um, the other way is you can simply let them know that hey, I'm looking for, um, or I'm, I'm finished here. Uh, just, you know, whatever you want to say, but you can even just end, end the relationship. And I think that's an agreement from um, the get-go that I let my clients know, um, try to let my clients know that if at any time um, you want to finish uh, our work together, you can simply let me know. I am not offended at all. I will not take that personally. In fact, I cheer for you because I do want you to find the person that's the best fit for you. So you can simply let me know that it's not working out. And they should feel comfortable with that. Um, that's kind of just, you know, the, my, my recommendation here that you could either bring it up or you can just simply let them know that you're going to um, keep trucking. <laughs> okay. I just had to ask because, again, that can be difficult to, you know, kind of let go of your therapist or, or you know, mm. even advocate for your needs in this particular way. Mm -hmm. I just want listeners to know that it's okay if you need to, you know, move on. Um, I asked about the ghosting because I think that 
you know, I don't think we should ghost people. <laughs> and I think it's beneficial to actually state our needs and how mm. they are or are not being met. And so maybe ghosting your therapist would, would not be the best way to kind of flex those muscles. But hey, whatever, <laughs> whatever works for people. Yeah, I mean, wherever you are in your journey of being able to advocate for your needs, seeing that and um, kind of embracing you where you're at. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, even using that as a practice um, to, to say and to communicate and to voice, to, to let your voice be represented, because most likely um, of all people, I guess the clinician or a therapist isn't going to come back at you and take offense and do something bad in return. So there would be maybe this one of the safest people hopefully to state your needs to move on so yeah totally normal if you need to keep keep looking <laughs> and i know since we are in a you know very social media focused era could you tell us just a little bit about what are the boundaries around kind of social media in regards to the client therapist relationship? Should we be friending our therapist on social media? Um, should we be engaging outside of our therapeutic sessions or what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is such an important question. Um, in my training, the general recommendation is don't follow your therapist on social media because that could create kind of like a dual role and it could potentially like kind of cloud the relationship, um, you know, expectations, will they respond to me if I message them? So that's general recommendation. Um, at the same time, what's fascinating, um, when I started posting about my adoption story and clinical insights and mental health related content, a lot of folks found Therapy Redeemed through my social media, either website or different platforms. Um, so in, in that scenario, they were connected to me first on social media and then wanted to begin therapy. So that's something that, you know, we can kind of, we talk about in session of what that's like. And because my particular specialty is so, um, niche, I guess, or narrow, um, a lot of adoptees might come to my account and say, wow, I read this particular post or I read your blog on, loss in birth family and I never heard it talked about and, and I never heard someone talk about it like that before and I wonder if I could start working together with you to unpack some of that so again there there are definitely case-by-case -case scenarios where we want to just be really careful about that but also um, bringing up even in session about what the expectations are and how to manage that together so um, long answer short I would say it's up to the client to decide if they want to follow or be connected to the therapist on social media. General recommendation from clinical training is um, not to be connected, but I can see where there's some wiggle room there for folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm thinking especially within the adoption community, which in many ways is a smaller community um, that for you, you might be running into clients, you know, in other adoption related circles as well at a higher mm -hmm. frequency than maybe other client therapy therapists may not. Yep, yep, absolutely. Because we're a small kind of tight knit community in a way. And it's not like there's just a, a bunch of faces. So chances are, if there's an adoption, 
something you're working with or, or you might run into a client on a post or a forum or, or here and there and that's bound to happen. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, we are almost at the end of our time together this morning, but I wanted to give you an opportunity, Cam, if there is any kind of closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with today. Yeah, I appreciate, um, as we talk about mental health, just doing our part to destigmatize it and you know, just knowing that it's normal and it's appropriate to reach out for help, to ask for help. Um, that's a good thing. And just, you know, thanking listeners for being here and even taking this time. If you're considering therapy or mental health support, I'm cheering for you and just know that there are resources out there. Um, people are ready and willing and competent and able to help you. And my wish for you is that you would find them if that's the path that you're on. So yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Senna. Thank you again to Cameron Lee Small of Therapy Redeemed for joining us this morning. I just want to reiterate, you know, seeking out a therapist or needing someone to talk to to help you unpack the things that you are experiencing is completely normal and i know over the past you know year and a half we have experienced really a a variety of different traumatic events that for many of us we may still be processing and might really benefit from talking to a therapist and cameron gave us a lot of great questions to consider when meeting a therapist and trying to find out if they're a good fit. If you missed kind of that part of our conversation, definitely check out the replay of today's show on wyxr.org. Or of course, you know, Let's Grab Coffee is available in the podcast format on Apple and Spotify as well. And this might be a really good episode for you to share with a friend and start to create and that relationship with your loved ones of being that, you know, safe space and creating a space where they do feel safe to maybe talk about the things that are happening in their lives as well. So for today's positive note, I want to leave you with this quote that says, don't surrender all your joy for an idea you used to have about yourself that isn't true anymore. One thing I definitely learned from my conversation with Cam this morning is how therapy can help us, you know, unpack that suitcase that we've been carrying around with us and maybe rearrange some things or think about things in a different way, or maybe even, you know, let go of a few things as well. Y'all, this has been Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Be sure to come back here next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. I can't wait for you to join us.